0: Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com. That's health-truth.com or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist, for another episode of the Candida Chronicles. Today, we're going to be discussing copper toxicity and candida. First, to give you a bit of a background on this, copper toxicity is something that's been long recognized in the nutrition field, probably first recognized by ARL, Analytical Research Labs, that was doing a popular lab doing hair analysis back in the late 60s, 70s, 80s, and still in business today. And they, through doing hair analysis, were, were observing people who had elevated copper levels. They did quite a lot of research into the subject, as have other labs like Doctor's Data and Trace Element, Trace Elements Inc., which is in Texas, founded by Dr. David L. Watts, who had been a researcher at um, analytical research labs, then went off to start his own lab, I consider him most likely the world's authority on the subject. Uh, I started to encounter this when I first came into practice back in the early 80s, and uh, I very quickly became a specialist in dealing with elevated copper. Copper has some very interesting effects on the body, and particularly in women's bodies. Because copper is um, estrogenic as a metal or an element, it expands and enhances the effects of estrogen. Copper itself is involved in the production and the release of estrogen as a hormone, but it also tends to, as a mineral, be estrogenic in that it sensitizes estrogen receptor sites, and it essentially um, accentuates the, all the functions and the actions and the behavior of estrogen. So copper, you could say, equals estrogen as far as a mineral. Now the opposite of this is uh, zinc, which zinc associates with progesterone. So when you're looking at a person's mineral balance in the body, If the copper is quite dominant to the zinc, you could assume a certain degree of estrogen dominance there because the estrogen being higher than the zinc makes copper more amplified and produces more of an estrogen effect in the body. Next, we would have testosterone. Testosterone aligns with manganese and zinc. So we have copper aligning with estrogen zinc aligning with progesterone, manganese and zinc aligning with testosterone. That's how the the minerals shape up as far as their hormonal influences. So when you see somebody elevated with zinc and low in copper, you would consider them to be progesterone dominant. If you see someone elevated by copper over zinc, you would consider them estrogen dominant. And if you see zinc and manganese elevated They're usually more dominated by the testosterone androgens that are being produced. Now, copper is very interesting in several categories. We've just gone over the hormonal effects of copper or hormonal influences. Copper is also an element which interferes with your liver's ability to detoxify. Copper is considered a heavy element or a heavy metal when you have it in excess. When you have normal levels of copper, it would be considered to be an essential trace mineral. Copper deficiency can cause certain types of malignancies, which tend to be the more aggressive types of cancer, and copper in excess is known to correlate with reproductive cancers especially those where there is estrogen sensitivity. Copper suppresses adrenal function and it also suppresses thyroid function and thyroid hormone activity and thyroid hormone activity as regards to your liver. One of the ways that your liver detoxifies is by having thyroid hormones target your liver and tell the liver to detoxify. Copper also is known to cause certain abnormalities with neurotransmitters and with emotions. People who are copper toxic very typically describe themselves um, as having racing thoughts. They typically have insomnia. They can't fall asleep because their mind is racing with thoughts. This is a very typical thing that you hear from them. People with copper toxicity are often constipated. Uh, This is even more interesting because this avenue of constipation is primarily how someone's going to unburden their copper. Copper is the main constituent in bile. This is why bile is green. When you see someone throw up bile or you see someone having a lot of diarrhea and they're starting to excrete green fluid, this is the bile now being excreted from the gallbladder. The bile is green because, as I said, copper is the key constituent of bile. So therefore, the root of eliminating copper is through the liver and the gallbladder and through your stool. So bowel movements are really important in eliminating copper. If you're a constipated person, the the bile is stagnant in your liver and gallbladder, and therefore the copper just continues to build up and accumulate. Copper is also associated with various types of migraines. It's been associated with uh, certain types of arthritis. And um, it's been known to be associated with chronic infections, particularly viral and sometimes candida infections. When copper elevates in a person's tissues, it makes that person more susceptible to candida because of the copper's effect on suppressing immune function. Viral conditions are very commonly associated with excess copper. Uh, It's interesting when you study the workings of copper in the immune system. There are certain antibiotics which are effective because they actually mobilize copper from your tissues. And they kind of use the copper to electrocute harmful microorganisms in your lymphatic system. The lymph tissue is one of the other sites of copper buildup in the body. When people are copper toxic, the primary storage sites that they have the copper buildup in would be liver gallbladder and lymph tissue because the copper is mobilized by your thymus gland as part of your immune defense. The thymus gland, as I said, mobilizes copper, using it to literally electrocute harmful organisms which then are stored in your lymphatic system, and your lymphatic system then wants to eliminate them through its drainage into the colon to be discarded from your body. So we'll find in some people's cases that their lymph system becomes overloaded with copper and becomes very sluggish and will have an overburdening amount of copper. When candida is present and copper toxicity is present, which is our main topic, you have a very predictable group of symptomatology in the person. Um, Because of the elevated copper and the candida, it's very common they become constipated. The definition of constipation that we'll use here is one or less bowel movement per day. Candida alkalizes the intestinal tract, which tends to make the bowels constipated and slow-moving and copper suppresses the flow of bile from the liver and gallbladder. It suppresses the initiation of the thyroid hormone to stimulate liver and gallbladder uh, release of bile. It generally slows down peristalsis by slowing down adrenal response, because the adrenals are involved to some degree in peristalsis. So you end up with constipation, which is the very thing you don't want because that tends to make the copper accumulate even more. If uh, we're dealing with a woman, in this case, estrogen then comes into play, and due to the copper toxicity, the person easily will notice that their candida symptoms are worse at various times of their menstrual cycle. This is a key question always to ask a woman who has candida, who is currently menstruating, Do you notice that your candida symptoms are predictably worse at any particular time of the month? And usually, what you'll find is they will answer yes, and the situation will be that their candida symptoms are worse during their premenstrual part of the menstrual cycle, which is where estrogen is most dominant, and this is where copper would then push the estrogen over the edge. Body temperatures, another important thing to look at when you're dealing with a person with copper toxicity, because uh, the it's been long recognized, going back quite some time, uh, in the annals of hair analysis research, that the zinc-copper ratio in the body helps to govern how well the body utilizes thyroid hormones. Um, I've quoted this before on this broadcast, but we go back to remember Guyton's physiology textbook, where in the book Guyton said that in some ways not exactly known at this time, calcium seems to desensitize tissues to the effects of thyroid hormone, while potassium seems to sensitize the tissue to the effect of thyroid hormones. And what um, underlies this is the ratio in the tissues of zinc and copper because the copper associates itself then with calcium and the zinc then associates itself with potassium. And the zinc-copper ratio does virtually the same thing that Guyton had discovered with the calcium-potassium ratio in the tissues. So you would expect to see the person with high copper, high calcium low zinc relative to copper, low potassium relative to calcium, and this person will have lower than normal body temperatures. Uh, It doesn't make a difference, you see, what their uh, hormone levels would be in their bloodstream regards thyroid. It's It's very predictable that the thyroid hormone levels will be low, but still normal, or even just normal. At times, but it's uh, more predictable that you're going to see them on the low normal side. This doesn't make any difference because the person is still functionally hypothyroid, as you'll see by their body temperatures. It's not unusual that their body temperatures will be consistently below 97.6 or 0.5. Generally, you consider anybody's body temperature below 98.2 to be. F- telling you that they functionally are low thyroid, regardless of the level of hormone that they have. The end result of the thyroid hormone production and then utilization by your tissues is the production of heat and energy. So primarily, if the temperatures are low, one blames thyroid. And you're going to typically find that this person will have the high-calcium, high-copper, low-zinc, low-potassium pattern. This suppresses thyroid function, and then this, of course, aggravates the, can- the symptoms of candida. It's interesting to note that in his book, I don't recall exactly which, which book it was, but if you, if you do a study on the work of Robert Atkins, in one of his popular books regarding his diet and weight loss, he, he said, I believe, somewhere towards the end of the book, that there were two conditions that would cause his diet not to work correctly. And of course, when I say his diet, we're referring to the Atkins diet, the, the low-carbohydrate diet. The two conditions that he quoted would start, that would interfere with his diet from working were candidiasis and then also low-thyroid conditions. And you could equate the low-thyroid even to meaning high-copper conditions. It's been interesting in in my office over the years that we've we've seen this, not not really looking to predict this or expecting this, but we've had people come to us who would tell us that they had tried the Atkins diet time after time and they had very poor success with it. Now the Atkins diet, as most of you know, is very similar to a Candida diet. When the person came to our program and treatment and they started doing the Atkins diet which we could say is virtually the same thing as the Candida diet but they did it with our antifungal program suddenly they would begin to lose weight as a miracle where previously they were not able to. The only difference that I could ever tell or see in what they were actually doing was that on our program they were utilizing all the different antifungals where when they simply did the Atkins diet, they were not. So therefore, it seemed to be the elimination of candida, which was allowing the low-carb Atkins-style diet to be effective in burning fat, where prior, when the person was doing the diet alone without the antifungals, and they did have the overload of candida, they were unable to lose the weight. A question typically comes up as to the order in which you treat things. And this is very important because, as most of you know, when you study my material on the website, you study the various writings, articles, listen to lectures, podcasts. The one thing that I continue to pound is that treatments have to be done in a correct order. I'm sure many of you have heard me over the years use the term unga pachka, which in Yiddish means everything thrown together. And this my is my evaluation of most of the candida treatments out there. They are literally everything thrown together. And they're unga pachka, which is why they don't work. Now, when you're eliminating candida in particular, and even well, this is true with viruses, and I believe we covered this last week, when we discussed viruses, there needs to be a specific order that you handle things in if you expect it to work efficiently. The worst thing that you can do on a candida treatment is to take antifungals, take probiotics, take vitamins and minerals and hormones that you think you're deficient in, and then take things to stimulate your immune system all at the same time. This is completely destined to failure, and it's destined most likely to make you either worse or to feel really sick. Now, a primary rule of thumb is that we do not detoxify copper at the beginning of someone's candida program. If Someone walks in the door and they produce test results and say, I have candida, I have high copper. We sit them down and they begin the candida program. We do not address their high copper. The reasons why we don't address the high copper or the toxic metals are very simple. The first thing is that the body has great difficulty detoxifying metals or anything when copper is present. Particularly excess copper we're talking about. If you try to detoxify copper from someone when they're loaded with candida, what, in a sense, you're doing is you're expecting their hepatic detoxification, which largely depends on bifidus, proper bifidus levels in their colon, to work when the bifidus is not present. If you, if you go and study phase one and phase two detoxification, and you in particular you study the relationship between bifidus bacteria in the colon to the liver's ability to detoxify, you you will find that this is a very important subject, and bifidus or liver detox is very dependent on having a correct bacteria balance in the colon. No one who has candida has a correct bacteria balance in their colon. So if you try to detoxify copper in someone who has candida, you're trying to detoxify copper with a crippled detoxification system. It doesn't go well. The person has uh, periods of time where they suddenly release copper and feel very sick and only to reabsorb it again in their body. Copper can accumulate in Candida cells just like it can accumulate anywhere in the body for that matter. Um, Copper in particular can accumulate in Candida cells as does Mercury And when the microorganism picks up, for lack of a better term, uh, large amounts of these minerals, what will happen is the minerals are now storing in the tissues of the organism. And then when you go to kill the organism, the organism releases the stored mineral. This has been observed with both mercury and copper. So when you are killing copper in someone's body, I'm sorry, killing candida in someone's body, to to that degree, you're already starting to eliminate some of the metal which is stored in the microorganisms in their intestinal tract. And this is really the first route that you're taking in eliminating the excess copper. Because it's already in the intestinal tract, It's just steps away from being excreted out of the body, as opposed to having someone who, let's say... Um, is systemically toxic in copper and now you're having this copper being pulled from their lymph system, pulled from their spleen, their liver, from all these various tissues and you're then having this go through their whole system of elimination and this is extremely stressful and it it tends to be very inefficient and not work well because when they hit the point where the liver then needs to eliminate the copper, the detox pathways usually collapse and the copper sits there and the person will complain about having a headache for a week or two and not be able to move their bowels. This is typically what I've experienced with people trying to detoxify copper while they, they still indeed have candida. It uh, really does not work very well. So we do not detoxify copper specifically while someone has candida because it, it usually will fail Because the candida patient is a poor detoxifier. With mercury, there's a little bit of a difference. With mercury, we do not detoxify while the person has candida. Because the mercury actually can aggravate and spread the candida. It's been observed that candida cells tend to absorb mercury as though it is some type of a nutrient. It's also been found that in the presence of mercury, the immune response is suppressed. So if you begin detoxifying people of mercury while they have this suppressed immune system, you're going to make it even worse and you will therefore allow the candida to flourish even more. The, the intestinal tract and the, your, your intestinal immunity is in a constant battle with candida. And if you start overloading the intestinal tract with mercury, you just suppress the intestinal immune response even more, which gives the candida another leg up. Iron is another interesting element. Um, iron is uh, such a, an essential element to candida and its own health that there actually are some medical drugs out there and their principal function is to block the uptake of iron into the candida cells. This is how important iron tends to be to the health of a candida. That the prescription medical drugs for candida actually work by blocking the candida's uptake of iron. So if you have someone now who's iron toxic, and you venture to detoxify them of the iron while the candida is still alive and well in their intestinal tract, well, it's as though you're literally, literally giving the candida a bath in, in vitamins and minerals, which the candida needs to survive. This is why if you have a patient who has candida, and if he takes iron supplements, he very often ex- ex- experiences a flare-up of the candida. Now, aluminum, uh, the next element to discuss, is bad from the viewpoint of pH in the intestinal tract. As most of you may know, aluminum tends to alkalize the, the intestinal pH, which is precisely what Candida wants. Candida wants to live in an intestinal pH environment above 74 Normally, the pH of the intestines is somewhere between 6 and 7.2. Candida likes 7.4 and upwards. Aluminum, taken in any form, will cause the intestinal pH to rise and become more alkaline. And this is what the candida wants. So therefore, when you expose the intestinal tract or the candida to aluminum, it just generally makes the condition worse. So... There you go. These are a handful here of of elements and minerals. And we've gone over their effect, their end result, on your system and on how, how they then would benefit candida within your system. And this is primarily why you do not detoxify elements, toxic elements, from someone's body while they have candida. I've heard for many years from patients that they had gone to see, and I'm not going to mention the name, of course, but they had gone to see a practitioner who was uh, actually well, pretty well-known. I think most people might know the name. The practitioner is in the Midwest, has a very successful clinic there. And when people go to this practitioner to address candida, he, will, of course, as part of his testing, looks for toxic metals And I've heard on numerous occasions that he was quoted as saying, um, if you are mercury toxic, as an example, you'll never get rid of your candida unless you handle your mercury. And theoretically, that's true. Because as long as excess mercury is present in the body, you're susceptible to candida overgrowth. However, when this doctor placed these patients on a strong chelation program to remove the mercury from their bodies, They had tremendous candida flare-ups. Their flare-ups of candida were so bad that they discontinued this person's treatment, went off, and sought out other doctors. And in this one particular case, uh, quite a few of them found me at the same time. I think that some of them also were in correspondence with each other after having met in the waiting room and on the facilities and becoming friendly and they told each other about, about my treatment, and they, they came to me in a, in a flock, literally, and I found there was this resounding uh, issue between all of them. The one common denominator between them all is they were all put on chelation programs, and all had horrible reactions which flared up their candida. So how I learned to not detoxify people from metals first was in part from this experience. Uh, the more patients I had being referred to me from this clinic by other, pa- other patients who were recounting the same story that they were put on a strong chelation program to deal with their mercury, which was the underlying cause of their candida, and they flared up their candida terribly to the point where they couldn't function And they couldn't continue the chelation. This is how I learned that this is not the thing to do. Theoretically, I could certainly uh, justify this and theorize that you wouldn't want to chelate metals out on a patient with candida. And I would probably come up with the very same arguments that I've already given you in this podcast today. It, It just happened to be that we had so many people come to us who actually were undergoing this procedure, and it turned out to be a disaster that I saw with my own eyes the effects and learned firsthand why you would not do it that way. I have had in my practice in the last 30 years uh, virtually a handful of people that we ever attempted to chelate the metal out first before dealing with their Candida. They were un- extremely unusual situations, and their metal needed to be unburdened a bit before the Candida would respond. And even at that, I can tell you, it is, was a very rocky road for those people. They experienced numerous Candida flare-ups, despite best technology, and despite uh, having them take substances which literally would would attempt to block the candida's uptake of the metal and the various nutrients. In most, av- in the most, the average case, you would say, um, this p- process works very well because the patient who ha- who is recovering from candida, who's now entering the stage where we begin to detoxify their metals, is given certain substances, which absorb the metal from the intestinal tract and which do such a good job at blocking the reabsorption of the metal from the intestinal tract back into the body that it also mostly prohibits, I would say, the candida from being absorbed by the, the, sorry, the metal from being absorbed by the candida cells. So it makes the chelation much smoother. There, as I said, were rare instances where we had to do this chelation first and these people had so much metal in their system that taking the substances which block the metals from being absorbed from the intestines back into the candida cell or back into the body still were not able to help them prevent candida flare-ups due to the metals being chelated out so it's definitely not the way to proceed when you or looking at metals in a person, you wanna consider that the detoxification of the metals is going to be a separate program that will be done after they graduate from the candida treatment. This ensures that the person's metals will be detoxified as efficiently as possible because your hepatic detoxification is gonna be there intact, working correctly with the correct amount of bifidus in the colon and the proper balance of flora and you're also not going to put the person in a position where the detoxification of the metals is going to flare their condition up, which is a a very important point. You can flare the candida condition up to an unbearable degree in the person if you start to pull toxic metals out of them while they actively still have the Candida infection. Copper, unfortunately, is one of the elements which is very Candida sensitive. The interesting thing about copper is that in some cases, copper deficiency actually makes the person susceptible to Candida. This is the catch-22 that exists with copper. It's why copper probably is one of the more interesting elements when you're dealing with candida, more interesting than iron, mercury, aluminum, the others that we've explained here today. Uh, a deficiency of copper has been found to make people more susceptible to bacterial infections and to candida or any kind of fungal infection. Think for a second what do, what's typically used in commercial pools and swimming facilities to kill off algae and kill off different microbes that are associated with pools. Well, it's copper sulfate. And copper is an antifungal nutrient if the copper is deficient in the person's body. When the copper elevates in the person's body, then the copper adds to the Candida condition because of its effect on suppressing the immune system and its effect in being estrogenic, which stimulates the growth of the candida. So copper is the two-faced or double-faced situation. Copper, when it's deficient, can maybe predispose you to candida, and when you have excess copper, uh, it aggravates the candida. Always a very good idea for a candida patient to know what their zinc-to-copper balances in their tissues. The only way to do this reliably is with some type of a a hair analysis test done by a reputable lab. There are essentially three labs that I know of right now that do hair analysis, which I consider to be reputable. One is Doctors Data, which is in Chicago. The other is ARL, it's Analytical Research Labs, which is in Arizona. And the other is Trace Elements, known as TEI, which is in Texas. These three labs can give you a good analysis of all your trace minerals, and you can see then if you're a Candida patient, how any of these elements may be interacting with your Candida. Well, this has been Michael Diamante, Clinical Nutritionist. We're covering today copper and Candida, and also we ended up covering some other elements and minerals and how they interact with Candida. Please tune in next Tuesday for the next edition of the Candida Chronicles.
0: Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told the source is candida, a yeast overgrowth which when it becomes systemic can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com. That's health-truth.com or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. That's a wrap for this episode